Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Daniel chapter 11, and uh, we actually did the first half of Daniel chapter 11, so we're going to go ahead and uh, we'll talk about it a little bit here. So now, uh, for Daniel, you know, he was living in 534 B.C., and uh, for Daniel, these prophecies that he received in uh, chapter 11, um, for Daniel in 534 B.C., they were all future. They hadn't been fulfilled yet. Uh, They were all prophecies of the future. For you and I living in 2014, however, the prophecies of verses 1 through 32, which is what we looked at last week, um, they've already been fulfilled. And uh, very accurately, I might add, in fact, so accurately that uh, there have been skeptics of the Bible that uh, really have a difficult time believing that someone like Daniel would have written about these prophetic events in 534 B.C. Uh, and, then, and they've been fulfilled so accurately that they think, well, it couldn't have been written by Daniel. It had to have been written by somebody after the events that took place in the Bible. Um, for you and I, Living in uh, 2014, the prophecies of verses 36 through 45, which is what we're going to take a look at this morning, have not yet been fulfilled. Um, now, I made a, you see there, Daniel 11:33 through 35, and I won't read it for you. You can go back and read it later if you want. But um, those verses uh, talking about the time where the Jews are going to be suffering persecution, and of course that has happened in the past. It's happening today, um, to some extent anyways, and it probably will continue until um, the Lord Jesus Christ returns. Um, until the time of the end, as it says there in the, in the end of verse uh, 35. So, last week's men- message, we covered verses 1 through 35. And so this week, oh, and by the way, going back to verses 1 through 35, um, I, I just do a quick, uh, just an overview, since some of you have not been here or weren't here for it. But verse 2 talks about four kings. So you can go back into history. You can, go, you, can, you can get your history book out. You can get the book of Daniel. And you can pretty much lay them side by side and come to find out the four kings that were prophesied in verse 2 of Daniel 11. Uh, we've got Cambyses, who was the Azureus in Ezra 4.6. Smyrtus, who was Artaxerxes in, in Ezra 4.7. Darius, Histapsis, uh, I'm probably slaughtering their names, but to Ezra 4.24, and then Xerxes, who was another Azureus in the book of Esther. Um, you, we can look back and we can see the history of these guys. Um, verse 3 mentions this one king, and this is Alexander the Great. And then uh, verse 4 talks about the division of Alexander's empire towards the four winds of heaven. And we know from history that uh, when Alexander the Great died, he died at a relatively young age, that uh, four of his generals uh, took, uh, basically they, they divided up his empire. And, uh, and so it, prophetically, God prof- you know, said it would happen, and it happened exactly as he said it would. Now, verses 5 through 20, um, and we, again, we talked about it last week, but it deals with the battles between the kings of the south who were the descendants of Ptolemy, um, who Ptolemy was one of Alexander's generals, and the kings of the north who were the descendants of Seleucus, who was another one of Daniel's, uh, excuse me, Alexander's generals. 
Uh, and uh, so when we, when we talked about it last week, when we went through verses 5 through 20, it talks about the kings of the south, the kings of the north. And it's not always the same person, but they're descendants of these, these uh, two generals. Uh, some of the historical characters that were prophesied, in addition to those men, I have a list here, and uh, uh, I'm not going to read through them because I'll just slaughter through their names. But basically, again, you can go through these verses, and history matches right up with each one of these, uh, these prophecies. When we got to verse 21 through verse 31, it talks about... Uh, a man who was known as the vile person, described in verse 21. That was Antiochus Epiphanes, and he was a very vile person. Um, Then when we got to verse 32, it says, But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. And what this is talking about is the Maccabean Revolt. And so all these things that occurred in history that have occurred, they've been fulfilled accurately. They've been fulfilled literally. And uh, you can go back and you can, you can read Daniel 11 and read uh, the, uh, the history uh, book right with it. And it, it, just, it just matches. So this morning, we're going to go and we're going to finish Daniel chapter 11. And we're going to take a look at prophecy, which is yet to be fulfilled. That's verses 36 through 45. Let me go ahead and read that to you. And if you have your Bibles, you can follow along. Then the king shall do according to his own will. He will exalt and magnify himself above every God, shall speak blasphemies against the God of gods, and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished. For what has been determined shall be done. He shall regard neither the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall exalt himself above them all. But in their place he shall honor a God of fortresses, and a God which his fathers did not know he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and pleasant things. Thus he shall act against the strongest fortresses with a foreign God, which he shall acknowledge and advance its glory. And he shall cause them to rule over the many and divide the land for gain." At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind, with chariots, horsemen, and many ships. And he shall enter the countries, overwhelm them, and pass through. He shall also enter the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape from his hand, Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon." He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver, and over all the precious things of Egypt. And also the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall follow at his heels. But news from the east and the north shall trouble him. Therefore he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. And he shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end, and no one will help him. So going back to verse 36, who is this king that's mentioned in verse 36? Now there are some people who believe that this is Antiochus Epiphanes uh, of verse 21. They look at these verses of 36 through, 30, through 45, and they say, well, it's already, it's already been fulfilled in the past. It was fulfilled by Antiochus Epiphanes. Now granted, when we looked at some of those verses last week about Antiochus Epiphanes, it described accurately 
what Antiochus did. He desecrated the temple. He sacrificed a pig on the altar to desecrate the temple. He brought an, an idol of Zeus into the temple. He did all these terrible... He murdered many, many Jews. And we can look back at those verses, and we can see that they accurately describe historically what um, uh, Antiochus Epiphany did. But the problem is that Antiochus Epiphany died in 164 B.C., and the events that are described in verses 36 through 45, you can't go into the history books and go, oh, yeah, look, at Antiochus did this. It, it matches. There's nothing that matches what Antiochus has done. Um, so I don't believe that this king in verse 36 is Antiochus Epiphanes. Well, if, that, if it's not him, who is this king? Well, let's take a look at that verse. It says, Then the king shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god, shall speak blasphemies against the god of gods, and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished. For what has been accomplished, uh, till the wrath has been accomplished. For what has been determined shall be done. It's very interesting because if you look at Revelation 13, verses 5 through 8, which talks about the Antichrist, It says this, and he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. I believe that this verse 36, this king, is speaking about the Antichrist here of Revelation 13, verses 5 through 8. Well, when you looked at the life of Antiochus and what he did, it's kind of like he's the movie trailer and the Antichrist is the feature film. You know, it's like he's a preview of coming events, basically. He was a type of the Antichrist. And so when we look at some of the things that he did, it's like, wow, it's amazing. Well, it's, the Antichrist is going to do much the same. In fact, worse is what the Antichrist will do uh, as we read through Revelation. So who is this king of verse 36? He's the little horn who's described in Daniel 7, verse 8, with a mouth speaking pompous words and making war against the saints. That's uh, Daniel seven twenty one. He's the Antichrist, right? Um, it says in verse 36, He shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished, for what has been determined shall be done. You know, when you look back at verses 1 through 35, they were fulfilled literally. And they were fulfilled very accurately, literally. And uh, here God is saying the events that are going to happen for us, they haven't happened yet for future, you know, in our future, not necessarily our personal future, but from here on out, um, those things shall be done. And there's a lot of people that look at uh, prophecy and, and uh, they get kind of messed up with the last day's prophecies and they start looking at things and making things all symbolic and, and uh, they try to get it to fit whatever their, their beliefs are about eschatology, about the last days. But my personal take on this is if everything was fulfilled literally in the past, why is it not all of a sudden going to be fulfilled literally in the future? And so I take a literal, trans, a literal interpretation of, of future prophecy. 
Well, it says here that Antichrist is going to prosper uh, until the wrath has been accomplished. And he says, for what has been determined shall be done. You know, we see God's sovereignty here. Um, what has been determined shall be done. And while it may seem that Antichrist is going to be unstoppable, and he'll have great authority, he'll have great power, he'll have great military success, there's going to be a time when it's going to be done, and when God's going to finish up his, uh, God's going to destroy him. You know, sometimes we look around at uh, the wicked today, and we wonder why wicked, wickedness prospers. Why do, why do the wicked prosper? And I think the answer basically is God's forbearance. You know, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. And so, you know, you look and you go, why do these people are allowed to continue and continue and continue? And I look at my own life and I go, Lord God, I thank you that you allowed me. You, you, you were patient with me when I wasn't walking with you, when I was sinning against you. You, you were patient with me. And, and Lord, I thank you for your forbearance in my life. And it's the same with other people. We look at them and go, why, you know, why are they getting away with what they're getting away with? Well, they're not getting away with it. The answer is, sooner or later, they'll have to stand before God. But God is giving them time to repent. So what sort of person will the Antichrist be? Well, in Daniel 8 9, which we talked about a few weeks ago, it says, And out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. Who are the them in verses, uh, verse 9 of Daniel chapter 8. Well, uh, this is uh, one of the four notable horns of the male goat. We looked at that in Daniel chapter 8. The male goat in, in that prophecy was Alexander the Great. So the Antichrist is going to come from those nations that, that those four generals were uh, you know, of Alexander the Great. So in other words, it seems to indicate that he's going to come out of one of the four divisions of the Greek Empire. Um, And we're even given more details in Daniel 9, uh, verse 26. It says, And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The prince who is to come, that's the Antichrist. Who is uh, the people of the prince who is to come that will destroy the city and the sanctuary? Again, this is, you know, from Daniel's perspective, it hasn't happened yet. For you and I, we look back to 70 A.D., when the Romans destroyed the temple and destroyed Jerusalem. So the people of the prince that shall come to destroy uh, Jerusalem and the temple seems to indicate that the Antichrist is going to come from one of the countries that made up the, the Roman Empire. Now, and I know there's some books out there. There's people that think that the Antichrist is going to be a Muslim person. Um, I don't know, but this is what I see in scriptures anyways. Verse 37 also tells us, Another interesting fact about the Antichrist. It says, He shall regard neither the God of his fathers. And that phrase, God of his fathers, seems to indicate that the Antichrist is going to come from a national heritage that once was Christian. And uh, you look back at the Roman Empire, and that was considered Christendom. Uh, you know, that was all part of Christendom at one point. And so, again, it, it just seems that he's going to come from a Christian nation. I don't, I don't know if that will mean that his parents were Christians or not, uh, whether he himself will be an apostate. I, I don't know. But it also says, uh, he, he, shall neither regard the God, excuse me, he shall regard neither the God of his fathers 
nor the desire of women. Now that's led to some interesting conclusions. One of them is that people think that the Antichrist will be a homosexual. Now, um, I'm not personally convinced that that's what this scripture is saying. Um, But uh, other people say, well, it's not that he'll be a homosexual, but he'll be so self-absorbed in himself. He's going to worship himself that he will not pursue women in general. Uh, To me, this one maybe kind of does sort of fit the context of this verse. He's not going to have time for women. He's just just power hungry. And uh, it could be. Um, It's interesting, too, because in verses or scriptures like, say, Haggai 2.7, the Messiah is called uh, the desire of all the nations. And if you were a Jewish girl living in Israel, you, most Jewish girls that lived in Israel always wanted to be the one whom the Messiah would be born from. That was a dream of all the Jewish girls, that I would be the, the mother of the Messiah. And, uh, and so this could be, speaking of the desire of women, could be referring to the Messiah. And in that context, it would say, so he will not regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, the Messiah. So that's, that's a possible interpretation of that verse um, also. It could be. And, you know, when you look at it in the context, it, it fits. It says, Nor shall he regard any God, for he shall exalt himself above them all. He's basically going to worship only one person, and that's himself. And uh, it does seem to indicate that he'll be an atheist, but he's going to consider himself deity. So in Daniel 11, verse 38, it says, But in their place he shall honor a God of fortresses, and a God which his fathers did not know he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and pleasant things. So the Antichrist, being an atheist, because he's not going to regard any gods except himself, um, he's he's going to be an atheist, but in the place of the worship of God, he's going to worship material things, which are going to enable him to increase his power, both militarily and politically. That's all that he's going to be uh, absorbed with. And uh, Revelation 13.2 tells us, again, speaking of the Antichrist, that the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. The Antichrist is going to have tremendous political power, tremendous military power, But his power is going to come from Satan himself. You know, what's interesting about, you you would wonder, why do people get drawn into the occult? Or why do people, why would people even want to worship Satan, you know, get into Satanism? And the the answer is there's, there's a promise and a desire for power. And that's why people worship, uh, Satan, and that's why they get into the occult, because of the power that they feel that they can get from that. And Antichrist is going to strive for, and he's going to thrive on power and might. And throughout history, man, that's been an intoxicating drug for people. You look at any political party that gets in office, they have power. What do they want to do? They want to keep their power, right? So they'll do anything they can to keep their power, because that's an intoxicating drug for people. Antichrist is going to be no exception to that. Verse 39, it says, Thus he shall act against the strongest fortresses with a foreign god, which he shall acknowledge and advance its glory. And he shall cause them to rule over many and to divide the land uh, for gain. So Antichrist, he's going to be militarily successful for a time. And although he's not going to regard any god but himself, 
it seems to indicate that his reign is going to be associated with the worship of deity. In fact, um, he's going to use people's beliefs in deities as a stepping stone to get them to believe in him being God. So for him, the worship of God or the worship of, of any kind of God, an idol, whatever, it's going to be a tool that he's going to use uh, to manipulate for people to worship him because he doesn't regard any other God but himself. And he'll have successful endeavors, according to Revelation 13.8. It says, All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life uh, of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So he's going to have success at what he does there. Verse 40 now describes things that are going to take place during his reign. And it says here in verse 40, At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind, with chariots, horsemen, and with many ships. And he shall enter the countries, overwhelm them, and pass through. Now, throughout uh, Daniel chapter 11, the first uh, 30-some-odd verses, the kings of the south, as I mentioned earlier, they were the descendants... Uh, of Ptolemy. So there was a different guy, and a lot of them had the same name, Ptolemy II, Ptolemy III, Ptolemy this. Uh, uh, and, of course, they were associated with the nation of Egypt, uh, which was south of Israel. So the kings of the south, south of Israel, Egypt, and Ptolemy, the general that, and his descendants. The king of the north, again, north of Israel, uh, referred to the descendants of Seleucus, and he reigned over Syria. And uh, so... You know, back in those verses, the kings of the south were those kings, that's descendants of Ptolemy, kings of the north are descendants of Seleucus. Um, But I'm going to take a little digression here, because there's one prophetic event, well, the rapture is another prophetic event that hasn't occurred yet, Um, but there's one other prophetic event that has not occurred that I believe will occur prior to the great tribulation, and that is the battle that's described in Ezekiel 38, and 39. I want to just read that to you. Uh, actually, I'll just read portions of it, not the whole thing. But in verses 1 through 6, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him, and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. I will turn you around, put hooks into your jaws, and lead you out with all your army, horses and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, and a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Gomer and all its troops, the house of Togarmarah from the far north and all its troops, many people are with you. Uh, verse 3 of chapter 39. So, so these, these Gog and Magog, these the, from the north, and uh, when we were in Ezekiel, we kind of looked at it, and it looked like it was like Turkey and, and Russia and their allies. Uh, it's very interesting because if you look at President Putin right now, He's trying to revive the Russian, the Soviet Empire, and uh, he's he's you know it, it, he could be this this person that that ushers in this great battle. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised personally. Well, anyway, so they're gonna they're gonna descend on Israel. Uh, this great army, 
and uh, they're going to try to attack Israel, and Israel's not going to defend themselves. God's going to defend themselves. It's going to be a miraculous battle. Verse uh, 3 of chapter 39 says, Then I will knock the bow out of your left hand and cause the arrows to fall out of your right hand. You shall fall upon the mountains of Israel, you and all your troops and the peoples who are with you. I will give you to birds of prey of every sort and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. You shall fall on the open field, for I have spoken, says the Lord God. Now, there are people that look at these Ezekiel 38 and 39 and go, well, this is describing the battle of Armageddon. It's the same, it's the same battle. Um, I, I don't think so, personally. And uh, I'll tell you why. Because in verse 9 of Ezekiel 39, it says, Then those who dwell in the cities of Israel will go out and set on fire and burn the weapons, the weapons of Gog and Magog that have been, you know, they've been wiped out by God. Uh, it says, and, and they will go out and set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and the bucklers, the bows and the arrows, javelins and spears, and they will make fires with them for seven years. So Israel's going to have a source of heating uh, and energy, the the stocks of these weapons and the, the whatever whatever's involved with these weapons, they're going to be able to burn them for seven years. And uh, again, I look back at a literal fulfillment of prophecy and I go, well, this doesn't fit with the battle of Armageddon because when that battle's over, Jesus Christ is going to reign on the earth for a thousand years. So I think personally that this is describing another battle that's going to occur prior to the great battle of Armageddon. Let me continue a little bit more here, uh, talking about the burial of Gog. And this is fascinating to me. Ezekiel 39, verse 11, it says, It will come to pass in that day that I will give Gog a burial place there in Israel, the valley of those who pass by east and the sea, and of the sea, by east of the sea, excuse me. And it will obstruct travelers, because there they will bury Gog and all his multitude. Therefore they will call it the valley of Haman Gog. For seven months, the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. Indeed, all the people of the land will be burying, and they will gain renown for it on the day that I am glorified, says the Lord God. It's interesting, uh, these, uh, these uh, terrorist bombings that have taken place in Israel, there's a, there's a group of Israelis, their job is to go around and, and pick up body parts. And they, they've, they've gained renown world renowned they actually go worldwide now they just they f- first started in Israel they've gotten such a reputation that now wherever there's terrorist bombings they call these guys in and they go and they clean up the body parts and uh this could be speaking about this cuz look what it says um uh verse well, I don't have the verse around here in my in my notes here but it says, uh, they will set apart men regularly employed with the help of a search party to pass through the land and bury those bodies remaining on the ground in order to cleanse it. At the end of the seven months, they will make a search. The search party will pass through the land, and when anyone sees a man's bone, he will shall set up a marker by it till the buriers have buried it in the valley of Haman Gog. The name of the city will also be Hamona. Thus they shall cleanse the land." Now, you might be saying, well, why are you bringing up all this when we're talking about Daniel chapter 11? What does that have to do with the kings of the south and the kings and the north? All that I'm bringing this up is to say that Russia and her allies, whoever they are, are going to be decimated by this great battle. So, uh, and then here's a couple other verses. Uh, This is a prophecy concerning Egypt. 
Ezekiel 29, verse 14, it says, I will bring back the captives of Egypt and cause them to return to the land of Pathros, to the land of their origin. And there they shall be a lowly kingdom. It shall be the lowliest of kingdoms. It shall never again exalt itself above the nations, for I will diminish them so that they will not rule over the nations anymore. Israel was a world power at one time. They've never been a world power since because God said you won't be. And so Israel, Egypt's not going to be this great power at the, end of the, at the end of the age. So who are those kings of the south? Now, look at this, Isaiah 17, verse 1. The burden against Damascus. Behold, Damascus will cease from being a city, and it will be a ruinous heap. At some point, Damascus, which is in the capital of Syria, is no longer going to exist. That was the, the headquarters, that was the Seleucan Empire, Seleucian Empire, however you pronounce it, was the kings of the north, which was Syria. So my point in bringing up all this scripture is when we're looking at the kings of the north that are future, it may not be specifically Syria. And when we look at the kings of the south, it may not be specifically Egypt. Because as a result of that battle in Ezekiel 38 uh, and 39, Russia and her allies are going to be decimated. So there's going to be these new alliances of nations that are going to make up the kings of the north. Uh, There'll probably be remnants of Russians or remnants of whatever nation, maybe Turkey. We don't know. Uh, But my point is, you know, we don't we can't say, well, that's that's, you know, Syria and Egypt. We don't know because we don't know how it's going to be, how these nations are going to ally themselves. Alliance ally themselves, excuse me, uh, before this thing occurs. So, as a result of this battle in Ezekiel thirty-eight thirty-nine, Russia and her allies are going to be decimated. Uh, so, again, there's going to be a new alliance of nations, uh, probably made up of some of the people that are remaining from the kings of the north, and then they're the kings of the south. And so, there's, there's going to be these people. They're going to be for some reason they're not going to like the Antichrist's reign. And they're going to they're going to go to war against. They're going to join up together and try to rebel against the Antichrist. But according to verses forty to forty three, he's going to be able to descri- uh, excuse me to crush their rebellion. Verse forty one says, "He shall also enter the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape from his hand: Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon." This is an interesting verse to me. You know, first of all, the glorious land, that is Israel. When when you're reading about the glorious land, you're reading about Israel. Um, This verse 41 could be describing the midpoint of the Great Tribulation when the Antichrist breaks his covenant with Israel, enters the temple, and declares that he is God and demands all worship him. That's what this verse could be pointing to. Jesus described that, that time in Matthew 24. Listen to what he said. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Let the, let, excuse me, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight might not be in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, 
those days will be shortened. Notice that Jesus says, as he says, when you see the abomination of desolation, let the reader understand, he's speaking about the Antichrist. When he steps into the temple, which, by the way, it's kind of interesting because that's saying that there's going to be a third temple in Israel. So that'll be something that's, that'll be happening. Um, he says, when you see the abomination of desolation standing in the temple, demanding to be worshipped, he says, let those in Judea flee to the mountains. And then he also mentions, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. Now, why is he saying that? Well, I believe because specifically this is going to affect Israel. Because I believe when this happens, the church has already been raptured. We're going to be in heaven, I believe. This will be, this will be after. Uh, and that last seven-week period of Daniel, the 70 weeks of Daniel, that last week, it's going to deal specifically with the nation of Israel as God's preparing them to receive him as their Messiah. Well, some people look at this verse and they go, well, wait a minute. What about the elect there? It says, uh, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be, uh, would be saved, but for, the sake of the, or, but for the elect's sake, those will be shortened. Isn't the church the elect? Well, you know, there are scriptures that speak of you and I as the church as being God's elect. But you can also go in the Bible and find scriptures that describe Israel as God's elect. And I think in the context of this verse, mentioning Judea, let all those in Judea flee to the mountains. Uh, Make sure your flight's not on the the Sabbath. Well, why would we care? Israel will care. Because if you've ever been to Israel on the Sabbath, everything shuts down on the Sabbath. Uh, even the elevators, <laughs> you know, they, they got elevator Sabbath buttons on their elevators. Um, they, they don't stop at the, oh, they stop at every floor. They don't, you know, you can't like select which ones you want to go. That's a whole different message altogether. <laughs> but I think in the context of this, this is speaking of Israel. So going back to verse 41. Interestingly, it says that, you know, the Antichrist is going to enter into the glorious land. And uh, he's going he's gonna to crush this rebellion. But it mentions that Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon are going to escape his hand. Now, does that make you wonder what's significant about that? Why, why this nation, these people, why are they going to escape the Antichrist's hand? Well, going back in Matthew 24, Jesus instructed the Jews alive at the time when they see this Antichrist standing in the temple, he's going to say that they flee uh, to the mountains. And I believe God is going to miraculously preserve a remnant of Jewish people from the Antichrist. Uh, when they flee to the mountains, I believe they're going to be fleeing to Edom, Moab, and Ammon, which, by the way, is present-day Jordan. It's just to the east of Israel. Listen to Roman, or excuse me, Revelation 12, verse 6, describing when the Antichrist unleashes his fury on the nation of Israel. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. So according to Revelation 12.6, thank you, Teresa, there is a, there's a place prepared for God for these Jewish people that are alive at this time in Israel to escape to. In verse uh, 14 through 16, I better not touch this thing because I don't want to mess it up. <laughs> it says, But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might flee into the wilderness to her place, where she is nourished for a time 
and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. So for a time, times, and half a time, which uh, we talked about it a, a week or two ago, that's three and a half years, the earth is going to hide the remnant of the Jews who are alive at that time from the wrath of the Antichrist. Where will this hiding place be? I believe it will be the mountains of Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon, the mountains of Jordan, and specifically the rock city of Petra. Oh, okay. I don't know if you... Uh, can see that's kind of small, but that is actually, we're on Mount Nebo. We went to Israel a number of years ago. We're on Mount Nebo and looking, I know I can do this too. I don't want to touch that. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, um, if you're looking straight that way, that's Israel. In fact, I think that's the Dead Sea right over there. Um, But these are the mountains of Moab, or the mountains of Edom, the Moab, the the mountains of Ammon. It's basically in Jordan. That's where we were. In fact, that's Luke leading worship right there. Show and tell. We're going to do family slides. I'll show pictures of the kids later. Um, <laughs> Teresa and I were at, uh, uh, I forgot the name of the hotel, but it's right outside of the rock city of Petra. And so that's looking at the, the, the mountains of Petra there. And uh, that is that entrance. You remember Indiana Jones in the, remember the thing? He was going in there. Anyways. I see me and I see uh, Luke and I think that's Vonda over there in the corner. I believe that that might be you. It looks like it. Anyways, that's the rock city of Petra. And uh, you might recognize it um, from that picture, which is called the treasury. It, it was, there was these people that actually they dug and they carved out of these sides of these mountains dwelling places and it was a, it was a thriving city at one time and it was lost for years and years and years and it was discovered i think in the 1800s and uh anyways you might say well petra is that mentioned in the bible well actually sila is mentioned in the bible and sila is the hebrew name for petra isaiah 16 verses 1 through 2 it says send the lamb to the ruler of the land send the lamb to the ruler of the land for from sila to the wilderness Uh, to the mount of the daughter of Zion. For it shall be as a wandering bird thrown out of the nest. So shall be the daughters of Moab at the fords of the Arnon. So again, this is just speaking about Selah, which is Petra. But there's an interesting uh, prophecy in here. In Isaiah 16, verse 3 through 4, it says this, Take counsel, execute judgment, Make your shadow like the night in the middle of the day. Hide the outcasts. Do not betray him who escapes. Let my outcasts dwell with you, O Moab. Be a shelter to them from the face of the spoiler, for the extortioner is at an end. Devastation ceases. The oppressors are consumed out of the land. I believe this is a prophecy about this time when the Jews are going to flee Judea when they see the Antichrist standing in the temple. They're going to flee to the mountains of, of, of Jordan and they're going to go into this rock city of Petra. And there's 
acres and acres and miles of dwelling places that are hiding, perfect hiding places for a remnant of Jews. How many there are going to be? I don't know, but there's a rem- there'll be a remnant that will be there. And, uh, and so I think that's what this is speaking about, that Edom, Moab, and the, and the prominent people of Ammon, that they're going to escape from the wrath of the, of the Antichrist. For some reason, the Antichrist is not going to mess with them, for, for whatever reason. Well, obviously, because I think... God's, you know, he's got a place for the, for the Jews to hide during that time. There's another picture of it. But it's a great place to visit. So verse 42, again, what the Antichrist is going to do. It says, He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver and over all the precious things of Egypt. Also the Libyans and Ethiopians shall follow at his heels. So the kings of the south is going to include more than just Egypt. Libya and Ethiopia um, will have uh, already been decimated by the battle of 38 and 39. So this is going to be a confederation of what's left. Now there's some commentators who believe that this uh, alliance of the kings of the south is speaking of the Muslim nations who are going to be wanting to go to war with the Antichrist because he's made a treaty with Israel. And, uh, you know, it could be, I, I don't know. Well, we won't be here to ex- experience it, so we'll have to find out about it later. <laughs> Verse 44. But news from the east and the north shall trouble him. Therefore, he shall go out with a great fury to destroy and annihilate many. So the armies from the north could be Turkey, it could be remnants of God's confederacy, which included Syria and Iraq. Um, The armies from the east, it could be a confederacy of Iran, India, China, maybe even Japan. Um, But Revelation 16.2 possibly alludes to this. Revelation 16.2, it says, Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And then Revelation 9.13, it says, Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now the number of the, of the army of the horsemen was 200 million, and I heard the number of them. Very interesting that China boasts a 200 million man army. Um, this, the Bible here describes this this time that there, you know, there's this great battles that are going to be taking place. And the Bible says that the great tribulation is a time that the world has never experienced before and never will experience after it's, it's, it's an immense time of unbelievable carnage of unbelievable suffering and devastation. And it says if those days hadn't been shortened, man, no one would survive that time. Now what's interesting to me is that, the Antichrist is going to have rebellions from the north, from the south, and from the east. But notice that there's no mention of the west. Why? Where are they? I don't know. It could be that they are gobbled up and absorbed by one of those ten-nation confederacies. You know, there's going to be ten, ten nations of the world, basically, that are going to be in, in, in power at the time of the Antichrist. 
Um, it could be that the Western nations are going to be decimated and they'll no longer be world players on the international stage. Hmm, that's interesting. Hasn't our influence in the world kind of diminished recently? Could be. I don't think this bodes well for Europe, and I don't think it bodes well for the United States. I, I don't see the U.S. in prophecy, which makes you wonder, where are we going to be? You know, you look at, you look at these scriptures, and, and uh, I believe we're very close to that. I, I think the stage is being set for these events to take place. And uh, if, if it's true that, that the Western nations aren't going to be very significant here, you know, to me it just gives us that much more urgency to reach out to people in our communities and in our families and stuff because uh, many people are going to turn away. Well, many people are turning away from the Lord, but there's going to be this great apostasy that occurs. And so um, I, I think, man, it just gives us that much more urgency to be reaching people for Jesus Christ before it's too late. Well, the good news in all of this, because you can get really depressed reading about all these terrible things, is that we know who wins in the end, right? And we know who loses. Look at verse 45. And he shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. It could be referring to Antichrist setting up the city of Babylon as his world headquarters. It says, Yet he shall come to his end, and no one will help him. At that final battle, the battle of Armageddon, Antichrist is going to be destroyed by the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that he and the false prophet are going to be cast into the lake of fire for a thousand years. And that's when uh, Jesus Christ reigns on the earth from Jerusalem for a thousand years, beginning the the millennial reign of Jesus Christ upon the earth. So that is the end of Daniel chapter 11 uh, next week. We'll be in Daniel chapter 12. We'll look at some, you know, are, are, are we really close to the last days? And we'll take a look at some of the prophecies regarding that um, so that you can understand why I keep saying I think we're very, very close um, to Jesus' return. Because if you look at this, look at the, you, you have this, this, the prophecies of, of, the, uh, of the tribulation, seven-year period. You have the prophecies... Uh, I believe, of this great battle, Daniel 38 and 39, that's going to occur sometime before the battle of Armageddon. And you see the world stage set being set. I see the world stage being set for all these events. Well, and I personally believe that the church will be raptured prior to the tribulation or at the, or the beginning of the seven-year period. So if that's the case, if those things, if we can look on the horizon, you know, you know when you're, Going shopping, you go to like Sam's Club. You know, you can go there. You can buy Christmas decorations, Christmas trees. They get it all laid out, right? You go today and you go to, to Sam's Club and you see all the Christmas decorations. You go, huh, Thanksgiving must be getting close because they already got the Christmas, Christmas decorations out. Well, when we see signs that, that look like the world stage being set for the Antichrist reign, then we know, hey, the rapture is that much closer. And so, folks, what a, what, a, what a good call for us to, to be ready ourselves personally, but also to be about his business in these last days, man, trying to reach people for Jesus Christ. Why don't you stand up? Let's go, Lord, in prayer.